Alawapa friends, welcome to Scattering Angels. It is the 17th day of loftiness, the year 175 of the body calendar, March 18th, 2019. Um, I'm going to read a rather lengthy tablet written by Abdu'l-Baha. It's titled The Tablet to Dr. August Farrell. Um, it's about a dozen actual pages and I'm probably only going to get through half of it today. It begins. Uh, the original text was first published in Cairo, 1922. This translation was taken from the Baha'i World, Volume 15, pages 37 to 43. O revered personage, lover of truth, thy letter, dated 28 July, 1921, hath been received. The contents thereof were most pleasing and indicated that, praise be the Lord, thou art as yet young and searchest after truth, that thy power of thought is strong and the discoveries of thy mind manifest. Abdu'l-Baha is obviously referring to the letter from Pharrell, translated and dated 28 December 1920. Numerous copies of the epistle I had written to Dr. F. are spread far and wide, and everyone knoweth that it has been revealed in the year 1910. Apart from this, numerous epistles have been written before the war upon the same theme, and reference too has been made to these questions in the journal of the San Francisco University, the date whereof is known beyond any doubt. In like manner have the philosophers of broad vision praised highly the discourse eloquently delivered in the above-named university. A copy of that paper is thus enclosed and forwarded. Thy works are no doubt of great benefit, and if published, send us a copy of each. Abdu'l-Baha refers to his talk at Stanford University, Palo Alto, California, in 1912 which was published in the local newspaper and is also included in the collection of his talks in America entitled The Promulgation of Universal Peace. There, Abdu'l-Baha distinguishes the materialistic and empirical philosophy of the modern West from the standard rationalist philosophy of the Greeks and Persians and highlights the difference between theories of the essence of nature and of the origin of man. By materialists, whose belief with regard to divinity hath been explained, is not meant philosophers in general, but rather that group of materialists of narrow vision, who worship that which is sensed, who depend upon the five senses only, and whose criterion of knowledge is limited to that which can be perceived by the senses. All that can be sensed is to them real whilst whatever falleth not under the power of the senses is either unreal or doubtful. The existence of the deity they regard as wholly doubtful. It is as thou hast written, not philosophers in general, but narrow-minded materialists that are meant, as to the deistic philosophers such as Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. They are indeed worthy of esteem and of the highest praise, for they have rendered distinguished services to mankind. In like manner, we regard the materialistic, accomplished, moderate philosophers who have been of service to mankind. 
We regard knowledge and wisdom as the foundation of the progress of mankind and extol philosophers who are endowed with broad vision. Peruse carefully the San Francisco University Journal that the truth may be, may be revealed to thee. Now concerning mental faculties, they are in truth of the inherent properties of the soul, even as the radiation of light is the essential property of the sun. The rays of the sun are renewed, but the sun itself is ever the same and unchanged. Consider how the human intellect develops and weakens, and may at times come to naught, whereas the soul changeth not. For the mind manifests itself, the human body must be whole, and a sound mind cannot be but in a sound body. Whereas the soul dependeth not upon the body, it is through the power of the soul that the mind comprehendeth, imagineth, and exerteth its influence, whilst the soul is a power that is free. The mind comprehendeth the abstract by the aid of the concrete, but the soul hath limitless manifestations of its own. The mind is circumscribed, the soul limitless. It is by the aid of such senses as those of sight, hearing, taste, smell, and touch, that the mind comprehendeth, whereas the soul is free from all agencies. The soul, as thou observeth, whether it be sleep or waking, is in motion and ever active. Possibly it may, whilst in a dream, unravel an intricate problem, incapable of solution in the waking state. The mind, moreover, understandeth not whilst the senses have ceased to function. And in the embryonic stage, in an early infancy, the reasoning power is totally absent, whereas the soul is ever endowed with full strength. In short, the proofs are many that go to show that despite the loss of reason, the power of the soul would still continue to exist. The spirit, however, possesses various grades and stations. As to the existence of spirit in the mineral, it is indubitable that minerals are endowed with a spirit and life according to the requirements of that stage. This unknown secret, too, hath become known unto the materialists, who now maintain that all beings are endowed with life, even as he saith in the Quran, all things are living. In the vegetable world, too, there is the power of growth, and that power of growth is the spirit. In the animal world, there is the sense of feeling, but in the human world, there is an all-embracing power. In all the preceding stages, the power of reason is absent, but the soul existeth and revealeth itself. The sense of feeling understandeth not the soul, whereas the reasoning power of the mind proveth the existence thereof. In like manner, the mind proveth the existence of an unseen reality, that embraceth all things, and that existeth and revealeth itself in all stages, the essence whereof is beyond the grasp of the mind. Thus the mineral world understandeth neither the nature nor the perfections of the vegetable world. The vegetable world understandeth not the nature of the animal world, neither the animal world the nature of the reality of man, that discovereth and embraceth all things. The animal is the captive of nature, and cannot transgress the rules and laws thereof. In man, however, there is a discovering power that transcendeth the world of nature, 
and controlleth and interfereth with the laws thereof. For instance, all minerals, plants, and animals are captives of nature. The sun itself, with all its majesty, is so subservient to nature that it hath no will of its own, and cannot deviate a hair's breadth from the laws thereof. In like manner, all other beings, whether of the mineral, the vegetable, or the animal world, cannot deviate from the laws of nature, nay, all are slaves thereof. Man, however, though in body, the captive of nature, is yet free in his mind and soul, and hath the mastery over nature. Consider, according to the law of nature, man liveth, moveth, and hath his being on earth, yet his soul and mind interfere with the laws thereof. And even as the bird he flieth in the air, saileth speedily upon the seas, and as the fish soundeth the deep, and discovereth the things therein. Verily, this is a grievous defeat inflicted upon the laws of nature. So is the power of electrical energy. This unruly violent force that cleaveth mountains is yet imprisoned by man within a globe. This is manifestly interfering with the laws of nature. Likewise, man discovereth those hidden secrets of nature that in conformity with the laws thereof must remain concealed, and transferreth them from the invisible plane to the visible. This too is interfering with the law of nature. In the same manner he discovereth the inherent properties of things that are the secrets of nature. Also he bringeth to light the past events that have been lost to memory, and foreseeth by his power of induction future happenings that are as yet unknown. Furthermore, Communication and discovery are limited by the laws of nature to short distances, whereas man, through that inner power of his that discovereth the reality of all things, connected the east with the west. This, too, is interfering with the laws of nature. Similarly, according to the law of nature, all shadows are fleeting, whereas man fixeth them upon the plate, and this, too, is interference with a law of nature. Ponder and reflect. All sciences, arts, crafts, inventions, and discoveries have been once the secrets of nature, and in conformity with the laws thereof must remain hidden. Yet man, through his discovering power, interfereth with the laws of nature, and transferreth these secret powers from the invisible to the visible plane. This again is interfering with the laws of nature. In fine, that inner faculty in man, unseen of the eye, wresteth the sword from the hands of nature, and giveth it a grievous blow. All other beings, however great, are bereft of such perfections. Man hath the powers of will and understanding, but nature hath them not. Nature is constrained, man is free. Nature is bereft of understanding, man understandeth. Nature is unaware of past events, but man is aware of them. Nature forecasteth not the future. Man, by his discerning power, seeth that which is to come. Nature hath no consciousness of itself. Man knoweth about all things. Should any one suppose that man is but a part of the world of nature, and he being endowed with these, with these perfections, 
these being but manifestations of the world of nature, and thus nature is the originator of these perfections, and is not deprived therefrom. To him we make and, rep and say, The part dependeth upon the whole. The part cannot possess perfections, whereof the whole is deprived. By nature is meant those inherent properties and necessary relations derived from the reality of things. And these realities of things, though in the utmost diversity, are yet intimately connected one with the other. For these diverse realities and all unifying agency is needed, that shall link them all one to the other. For instance, the various organs, organs and members, the parts and elements that constitute the body of man, though at variance, are yet all connected one with the other, by that all unifying unifying agency known as the human soul that causes them to function in perfect harmony and with absolute regularity thus making the continuation of life possible the human body however is utterly unconscious of that all unifying agency and yet acteth with regularity and dischargeth its functions according to its will now concerning philosophers, they are of two schools. Thus Socrates, the wise, believed in the unity of God and the existence of the soul after death, as his opinion was contrary to that of the narrow-minded people of his time. That divine sage was poisoned by them. All divine philosophers and men of wisdom and understanding, when observing these endless beings, have considered that in this great and infinite universe all things end in the mineral kingdom, that the outcome of the mineral kingdom is the vegetable kingdom, the outcome of the vegetable kingdom is the animal kingdom, and the outcome of the animal kingdom the world of man. The consummation of this limitless universe with all its grandeur and glory hath been man himself, who in this world of being toileth and suffereth for a time, with diverse ills and pains, and ultimately disintegrates, leaving no trace and no fruit after him. Were it so, there is no doubt that this infinite universe, with all its perfections, has ended its sham and delusion, with no result, no fruit, no permanence, and no effect. It would be utterly without meaning, they were thus convinced that such is not the case, that this great workshop, with all its power, its bewildering magnificence and endless perfections, cannot eventually come to naught, that still another life should exist is thus certain, and just as the vegetable kingdom is unaware of the world of man, so we too know not of the great life hereafter that followeth the life of man here below. Our non-comprehension of that life, however, is no proof of its non-existence. The mineral world, for instance, is utterly unaware of the world of man and cannot comprehend it. But the ignorance of a thing is no proof of its non-existence. Numerous and conclusive proofs exist that go to show that this infinite world cannot end with this human life. Now concerning the essence of divinity... In truth, it is on no account determined by anything apart from its own nature, and can in no wise be comprehended. For whatsoever can be conceived by man is a reality that hath limitations and is not limited. 
It is circumscribed, not all-embracing. It can be comprehended by man and is controlled by him. Similarly, it is certain that all human conceptions are contingent, not absolute, that they have a mental existence, not a material one. Moreover, differentiation of stages in the contingent world is an obstacle to understanding. How then can the contingent conceive the reality of the absolute? As previously mentioned, differentiation of stages in the contingent plane is an obstacle to understanding. Minerals, plants, and animals are bereft of the mental faculties of man that discover the realities of all things. But man himself comprehendeth all the stages beneath him. Every superior stage comprehendeth that which is inferior, and discovereth the reality thereof. But the inferior one is unaware of that which is superior, and cannot comprehend it. Thus man cannot grasp the essence of divine unity, but can by his reasoning power, by observation, by his intuitive faculties and the revealing power of his faith believe in God, discover the bounties of his grace. He becometh certain that through the divine essence is unseen of the eye, and the existence of the deity is intangible, yet conclusive spiritual proofs assert the existence of that unseen reality. The divine essence, as it is in itself, is however beyond all description. For instance, the nature of ether is unknown, but that it exists is certain by the effects it produces, heat, light, and electricity being the waves thereof. By these waves the existence of ether is thus proven, and as we consider the outpourings of divine grace, we are assured of the existence of God. For instance, we observe that the existence of beings is conditioned upon the coming together of various elements, and their non-existence upon the decomposition of their constituent elements. For decomposition causeth the dissociation of the various elements, Thus, as we observe the coming together of elements giveth rise to the existence of beings, and knowing that beings are infinite, thy being the effect, they being their effect, how can the, the cause be finite? Now, formation is of three kinds, and of three kinds only, accidental, necessary, and voluntary. The coming together of the various constituent elements of being cannot be accidental. And for unto every effect there must be a cause. It cannot be compulsory, for then the formation must be an inherent property of the constituent parts, and the inherent property of a thing can in no wise be dissociated from it, such as light that is the revealer of things, heat that causeth the expansion of elements, and the solar rays which are the essential property of the sun. Thus, under such circumstances, the decomposition of any formation is impossible, for the inherent properties of a thing cannot be separated from it. The third formation remaineth, and that the that is the voluntary one. That is, an unseen force described as the ancient power causeth these elements to come together, every formation giving rise to a distinct being. As to the attributes and perfections such as will, knowledge, power, and other ancient attributes that we ascribe to that divine reality, 
These are the signs that reflect the existence of beings in the visible plane and not the absolute perfections of the divine essence that cannot be comprehended. For instance, as we consider created things, we observe infinite perfections, and the created things being in the utmost regularity and perfection, we infer that the ancient power on whom dependeth the existence of these beings cannot be ignorant. Thus we say he is all-knowing. It is certain that it is not impotent, it must be then all-powerful. It is not poor, it must be all-possessing. It is not non-existent, it must be ever-living. The purpose is to show that these attributes and perfections that we recount for that universal reality are only in order to deny imperfections rather than to assert the perfections that the human mind can conceive. Thus we say his attributes are unknowable. In fine, the universal reality, with all its qualities and attributes, that we recount is holy and exalted above all minds and understandings. As we, however, reflect with broad minds upon this infinite universe, we observe that motion without a motive force and an effect without a cause are both impossible, that every being hath come to exist under numerous influences and continually undergoeth reaction. These influences, too, are formed under the action of still other influences. For instance, plants grow and flourish through the outpourings of vernal showers, whilst the cloud itself is formed under various other agencies, and these agencies, in their turn, are reacted upon by still other agencies. For example, plants and animals grow and develop under the influence of what the philosophers of our day designate as hydrogen and oxygen, and are reacted upon by the effects of these two elements, and these in turn are formed under still other influences. The same can be said of other beings, whether they affect other things or be affected. Such process of causation goes on, and to maintain that this process goes on indefinitely is manifestly absurd. Thus such a chain of causation must of a necessity lead eventually to him who is the ever-living, the all-powerful, who is self-dependent, and the ultimate cause. The universal reality cannot be sensed, it cannot be seen, it must be so of necessity, for it is all-embracing, not circumscribed, and such attributes qualify the effect and not the cause." I'm going to leave it there for today and continue on with this tablet tomorrow. Today I am going to read from the hidden words of Baha'u'llah. We are on the 16th and 17th hidden word from the Persian. O essence of negligence, myriad of mystic tongues find utterance in one speech, and myriads of hidden mysteries are revealed in a single melody. Yet, alas, there is no ear to hear, nor heart to understand. O comrades, the gates that open on the placeless stand wide, and the habitation of the loved ones is adorned with the lover's blood. Yet all but a few remain bereft of this celestial city, and even of these few none but the smallest handful hath been found with a pure heart and sanctified spirit. I'm going to close today with a prayer 
from Prayers and Meditations by Baha'u'llah. This is on page 232 and 233. O my God and my Master, I am thy servant and the son of thy servant. I have risen from my couch at this dawn tide when the day star of thy oneness has shone forth from the day spring of thy will and has shed its radiance upon the whole world according to what has been ordained in the books of thy decree. Praise be unto thee, O my God, that we have wakened to the splendors of the light of thy knowledge. Send down upon us, O my Lord, what will enable us to dispense with any one but thee, and will, and will rid us of all attachment to aught except thyself. Write down, moreover, for me, and for such as are dear to me, and for my kindred, man and woman alike, the good of this world and the world to come. Keep us safe, then, through thine unfailing protection, O thou the beloved of the entire creation, and the desire of the whole universe, from them whom thou hast made to be the manifestations of the evil whisperer, who whisper in men's breasts. Potent art thou to do thy pleasure. Thou art verily the Almighty, the help in peril, the self-subsisting. Bless thou, O Lord my God, him whom thou hast set over thy most excellent titles, and through whom thou hast divided between the godly and the wicked, and graciously aid us to do what thou lovest and desirest. Bless thou, moreover, O my God, them who are thy words in thy letters, and them who have set their faces towards thee and turn unto thy face, and hearken to thy call. Thou art truly the Lord and King of all men, and art potent over all things. All right, I hope that you have a beautiful day, and you will join us again tomorrow when I continue uh, the tablet to Dr. August Farrell. All right, have a beautiful day.